You're listening to Black and White, Can We Just Talk? from Piedmont International University. Your hosts are University President Charles Pettit, as well as Sheriff and former DEA agent Bobby Kimbrough. Black and White is a program where we take current issues and provide you, the listener, with unique perspectives from two different worlds. Our hosts may not agree on everything, except that friendship and dialogue should never be constricted by societal expectations. Here are your hosts, Bobby Kimbrough and Charles Pettit. Hi, this is Bobby, and welcome to Black and White, the week in review. Can we just talk? Uh, I think it's a really good time to do some of that. And uh, you've noticed I'm back here with you today. Uh, you shamed me into getting <laughs> out of my house and coming back to the studio. So thank you. I'm glad you heard me. <laughs> <laughs> I've been trying to do that social distancing and honor the laws, but I went to a funeral this week and it uh, seemed like churches had never heard about the law. Uh, <laughs> nobody was wearing a mask and everybody was close and I was being touched up close. And everybody had their hand out to shake. And so uh, I thought if I can survive that, I think I can survive coming in here and talking to you for 30 minutes. You know, when people get emotional, um, health and safety tips go out the window. Evidently. Yeah, that's right. You think about New York City, the streets were empty. Not a soul, nothing going on. And now, like, throw that out because emotion trumps all. That's right. Protest, protest. And I think we're all like that a little bit. You get, in, get us emotional enough and we start taking action. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's not. But at least it stirs us up a little bit. All precautions out the window. <laughs> so I, I'm sure that the emotions in good old Forsyth County as are, are just as intense as they are anywhere else on the planet. And you... Our sheriff at such a time as this, your first year in, this, you're fin finishing that, you got a pandemic, you got everybody mad, the whole world's mad. How in the world is it like being a sheriff at this interesting moment? You know what? For such a time as this, the best of times and the worst of times, and I wouldn't have it no other way. You know, I think that um, during difficult times that we're in, you need leaders that can navigate through uh, troubled waters, and these are troubled waters. What I will say about here in Forsyth County is that while we are protesting, it's been peaceful uh, protests, no rioting, no looting. And so I think that the people should protest. I mean, what happened was protestable. And uh, so I think that you know we, our voices must be heard. But what I will tell you about the protests that I've been seeing all over the country that just makes me so proud is that people from all walks of life, black, white, Latinos, it's just amazing that everybody is now realizing that there's a problem and maybe we need to stop, look, listen, and let's do something. I think to do something is uh, is the right thing to do here. I don't think we've ever had a moment, and uh, maybe we're going to lose it through all the anger and different things. But by the way, before we go too far, I just want to say hats off to you and Chief Thompson for navigating these uncharted waters in such a way to where people who are either angry or mourning and and rightfully protesting are able to do that. But at the same time, we feel protected and safe. And so I don't know how you pulled that off, but however you did it, thank you. You got to be a part of the people in which you, you, you serve. So we get out there with the protests and we walk with them, we talk with them, we laugh with them, we cry with them. You know, you have to be a part of that. You know, you can't just, you, you have to have community credibility in the community before the crisis come. And and what we've done is, is that, you know, you don't hope for nothing like this, but there in law enforcement, there are so many things that could happen that you've got to have the community involvement and the community credibility. The community has to believe in you because if they don't believe in you and don't believe that you're going to do what's right, what's 
fair, what's legal and what's just, that's when you're going to have some problems. So you talked about action a minute ago, and I uh, listened to you do a podcast earlier this week uh, with your friend Max, and uh, and it was really, really interesting to me because it wasn't just yelling, something's got to be done. It was actually talking about some steps uh, mm-hmm. that could be taken. And I thought about how that, you know, when this uh, nasty video came out showing this nasty murder of George Floyd, for the first time in my memory, it seemed like the entire country was, I think the polls were like 90 something percent agreed that this was horrible and that it's time for something to change. Right. I mean, we don't have 90% of Americans agreeing that somebody walked on the moon. I think the percentage of people is higher than that. Uh, over 10% that said that, that never happened. Right. And so, but then it seemed like it kind of just turned into, can we just yell louder than everybody else? Can we be more emotional? But you went on a show and I actually started talking about some steps. I heard about an accountability commission. I heard about diversifying. I heard about training. I heard about how to utilize body cams better. And so to me, that was really encouraging that coming out of this, I mean, I listened to every minute of that podcast and really enjoyed uh, what you had to say there. So, you know, you know what I, when I look back, Doc, you know, we have to first acknowledge in this country that there is a problem. You can't fix something until you acknowledge there's a problem. And once you acknowledge that we have a problem, we have a race relation problem in our country. It's nothing wrong with acknowledging the problem. The problem comes when we don't acknowledge it and we move to try to fix it. The problem comes when we try to sweep on the rug and every now and then, more often than, than, than often, it explodes. And so we've got to address the race issues in our country. When we look at law enforcement, I've been in law enforcement 36 years of my life. And so what I will say is that the profession that I'm in has been a predominantly male, white profession. And so we know that in this country, people of color haven't always been treated the best. We know, especially by law enforcement, you could almost say, especially by. I mean, all, it's, it's true all, in every, all, yeah, every all of our system, educationally, economically. I mean, you can go through the gamut, yep. uh, the school systems, everything. So, I mean, we we recognize that we got to recognize that. Now that once we recognize it, then we begin to try to fix it. And so, this is just people have asked me, well, why or what ignited the the the, the galvanized of people? This has been happening way before Emmett Till. And so what happens is sometimes something just tips the scale, breaks the camel's back, the straw that breaks the camel's back, and the people realize that enough is enough because this has overwhelmed the pandemic. This has taken over new spots on the pandemic. It even got me out of my house. Exactly. And, uh, sheltering exactly. at home. So, yeah. it, it even went to right there at the White House, outside the White House. People of all walks of life are out on the streets. It is amazing to me that what I have seen happen, what I have seen change, there's an atmospheric change without question. And the change is slowly coming about. It is moving across. It's actually going to redefine and restructure the criminal justice system because people realize that there are some things that got to be done. Even in my own um, agency, we've changed a few policies, such as a duty to intervene, I mean, there's so many things that are happening. So for those of us who are amateurs or uninformed, what does that mean? Duty to intervene that if you are a, uh, let's say uh, I'm your, um, I want to be in charge of you. So let's say I'm your captain and you're the corporal 
and you and I respond to a scene together okay. and you see me doing something that is wrong, you have a duty to intervene. And if you don't, you have violated a policy and procedure, which you can be held accountable for. So, you know, things like that, which will force an officer to intervene. That if you see something like that happening, you just don't stand there and say, okay, okay, I okay. Right? You have a duty and an obligation to uh -huh. intervene. So there's so many things that have happened with this. And I've said that you and I have had conversations before, and I've said this so many a times, is that our country, America, she ain't what she used to be, by no means. And, and in and some she, ways that's good, and in some, some ways, ways that's bad. bad. And she ain't what she could be. Yeah, that's for sure. But I promise you, after this and going forward, she's going to be better than she's ever been. So how do you, in, in your way of thinking, how do you stop different special interest groups or fringe groups from just hijacking the entire movement? Because obviously there's a lot of folks nervous and, and extremely frightened about the rioting, about the looting, about the violence. Uh, Martin Luther King, one of the people I admire most on the planet, uh, actually said the opposite of what I'm hearing right now. I hear a lot of people saying silence is violence, but he actually said violence is silence. He said that rioting basically causes your voice to no longer be heard. I'm just concerned. That we had this moment of agreement. We've got to do something. But when you move from that to having maybe people who desire it, I don't know, who I uh, want to take it way beyond that to rioting and so forth. Your voice starts getting quieter and people stop listening because I think he was probably right about that. I don't know. What do you think? I think that your silence is part of the problem. Your silence will will probably increase the violence for years, for years, for years. This is the first time, go with me, that I've seen CEOs of major Fortune 500 companies coming out, stepping out firing some of their people for saying certain things. You think about the, the uh, in New York where they fired the girl for calling in that inning, right? You got people of power and influence that are stepping up to the plate now. They're silenced long before you, they wouldn't even bust a grape. But now they are talking and they're, they're, their voices are powerful because they have influence. So the silence is dangerous because if you sit silent as the, as the president of this university, and you and I have had conversations at the president of his university. When you came here, you saw the disproportionate number of minorities that was here. You could have said silent, but you didn't. You spoke out. So what I'm saying is if you remain silent, you are part of the problem. So you know me well. Most of our listeners don't know. Well, some of our listeners don't know either one of us because yes. our voice is going way beyond this city. Uh, and some people in this city have never heard of me. They all, we've all heard of you. Uh, but... Uh, so, you know, you know, I've spent my entire adult life fighting racism and changing the scenario. You know what's happened in Without this school. Question. Uh, but my, my fear is, is that you're almost being forced to certain narratives that are inaccurate. And if you don't support those narratives, then you're then you're part of the problem. You're a racist if you don't support the other narratives like the socialism, the communism, the defund, the police. Right. There are a lot of narratives out there, gender warriors. If you don't agree with all the gender warriors, then you're then you're a racist. And I'm just right. saying it's a little frustrating to me to have spent my entire life, my entire adult life, every minute of it really in this fight. My, my best friends on this planet are black. And it's not just something I've done because, you know, I'm in a position I should. It's actually in my soul to do something about this. So, but I sometimes feel like that if I don't support everything that, say, a Colin Kaepernick stands for, you know, if he's going to wear a shirt promoting Castro and talking about some positives in communism or that we were wrong to kill a terrorist, that makes us terrorists. If I don't agree with that, 
then maybe I'm a racist. Or if I don't agree that capitalism is evil and that we should replace it with socialism and communism, I'm evil. Or if I don't, if I like, like I was reading on Black Lives Matter and I have some quotes here. I don't know if I should bring them up and read them or not. But if you just go to that website and read about it, they spend more time talking about gender issues, it seems, than they do about black issues. And so, you know, it started by three women. They don't say if in the about section of their website, they don't talk about history. They talk about her story. Uh, and if you read down through it, there's a lot of statements. And basically, you're the bad guy. You, not me. Higher education's okay because we kind of agree with all those views, it seems, they must think. But you, you're male. <laughs> and so you're part of you're you're toxic. And uh, you're a daddy and you took responsibility as a family. But this they have statements there that basically we need to tear down the traditional so, family. So, so when you see, you know what I've been seeing a lot of? I've been seeing a lot of uh of my white brothers and sisters, their children walking around with, with, with cardboard saying Black Lives Matter. I've been seeing a lot of that, right? And I heard somebody say one day, uh, the other day, uh, why are they saying that Black Lives Matter? All lives matter. That's true. All lives do matter. But here's the analogy that, 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 I, that I draw from that. And I could be wrong, but this is my analogy. If you and I live in the same neighborhood and your house catch, my house catches on fire tonight, right? And the fire truck shows up, right? It's not that your house don't matter. What matters is, is that my house is on fire tonight and my house needs the water. So right now my house matters. What's happening in America with what people are saying is that black lives matter too when it comes to policing because that's what's on fire right now. That's who's dying in the streets. That's who is is feeling the brunt of a lot of issues that are happening. Because, you know, I I, I don't worry. I, I used to worry from when I was traveling around the country as an agent, and you out there and you're doing all these high-speed things, fighting foreign enemies, domestic and abroad, right? You know what worries me now hmm. is that? that there's an explosion and there's an implosion that the problem is that we've got to galvanize and hold this country together from within because what I saw on the streets, it could have went a lot of different ways because we've got to have some leadership that sees that we've got to come together because if we not, if we continue to stay separate and divide, this could be massive. I guess that's what I'm that, saying, that, though. That incident in D.C., that could have went ugly, which would have caused, that would have caused a ripple effect around this country. So what I'm saying is that we've, we've almost missed, or hopefully we haven't missed an opportunity to truly come together because when we suddenly start making it about capitalism or gender or whatever, and these become, or let's kill the cops. I mean, that's what it seems like every time you see a Black Lives Matter sign anymore, you see around it somewhere, kill the cops. Well, you're my friend. You're I a cop. I don't think people want to kill the cops. That's just, I, I, I don't even think that because it's like saying, um, if how about I'm, defund the cops? When I've heard that defund the cops. I, I, on the way in this morning, as I was coming in here, uh, they said that Minneapolis is going to totally uh, dismantle the police force and replace it with something different. And I saw yesterday in the L.A. Times that L.A. is going to cut one hundred and fifty million dollars from the police budget. And I heard they may do 10 percent cut 
in New York City. Well, just tell us what happens in Winston-Salem. Forget about the big city. What happens in Winston-Salem if we suddenly, let's say that Bobby Kimbrough, Sheriff Katrina, uh, Sheriff, <laughs> Sheriff uh, Captain Chief, Chief. Uh, and Chief, if you guys decide, you know what, enough is enough. We're just going to walk away. We don't need police and sheriffs. What happens in the city? I mean, that's that's foolish conversation. I mean, I, well, that's what they're talking about, though. Yeah, you know, people that's talk divisive. People, yeah, you know, people talked about but they're doing it. They talked about um, uh, Martians. They talked about Bigfoot <laughs> in the fog. They talked about a lot of things. But here's what I'm saying is that I mean, you you can't have a society without law enforcement. You can't. It, it would be total, total Why chaos. does Black Lives Matter have a headline on their website this morning that says defund the police? Well, defunding meaning let's probably look at how we're funding them. I mean, you can't you can't have a society. I mean, think about what, what, what you're saying. Think about this. How could you have a society that doesn't have laws or people that enforce the laws? That's what I agree with. It's vigilantism but, and crazy. the I mean, Wild that, West again. Right, but, but here's the but thing. But now with lots more weapons but, but, but and here, anger. But yeah, but here's the thing that, I, that, that, come, that comes to my mind is that we quick to lump paint with a broad brush a lot of things that we shouldn't because one guy does not represent total law enforcement. He does not. I don't even say his name, the gentleman that, that killed Mr. Floyd. He doesn't, he does not represent all the law enforcement. That would be like me saying that a guy that went to the protesting march who threw a brick through a window represented all of the peaceful protesters. We can't, we can't paint like that anymore. We can't. Agreed. Because you know what? That's just like saying that the priests that molested and those kids, all clergy and priests are bad. Exactly. You can't you can't think that. I mean, we 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 too advanced for that. What we've got to do is put systems in place that we can weed those out that shouldn't be there. Because the men and women of this country that get up every day, like myself, and get up and serve and protect. And they come back the next day. Now you've done this your entire, uh, basically 30, your entire life. Thirty six years. So you've been you, you started out at the local level. I started. You went to the I started level. out right here in Winston Salem with the local police department. You became a special agent with the Department of Justice. Federal you government. Served exactly. here. You served abroad. Exactly. Every now and then they'd throw you on an airplane after nine eleven and say, "Okay, you get to be an air marshal until we figure exactly. this out." So you've done it all, and then you got elected sheriff of this exactly. county, with the fourth largest metropolis in St North Carolina. Right. In all of those years, if you just had to look, how often have you seen like race-oriented brutality that you think was motivated by race around you that you actually saw with your own eyes? I forget seeing it with my own eyes. Well, I, I don't know, I, though. I, well, hold on. I've experienced it with my own self. Okay. I mean, I, I, brutality. I, not brutality, I'm but I've because that's what race. I've experienced racism sometimes, no, and it's not <laughs> it's not brutality. And guess what? It may have been brutality if we hadn't have done something. I. I was in uh, Gastonia, walked into a hotel working on the surveillance uh, to see who had checked into the hotel. I had a whole team with me outside in the parking lot. I went in there because my supervisor asked me to go in there. I went in there and asked the lady, can you tell me which room such and such checked into? She hit the panic button. Well, in a matter of seconds, we heard sirens coming. That was when we had the next tail. My my supervisor Barton uh, hits the, the next tail and says, "Are you all right, uh, Kimbrough?" And I said, "Yeah, why?" He said, "You got um, you got blue lights coming at you, hot and quick." And by that time, I started hearing them. Okay, they ran up in there, ready to snatch somebody out of their shoes. 
I put my hands up and, and they looked at me and asked me, what am I doing? Get up against the counter. And by that time, by that time, my guys was coming into place and saying, hey, what are you doing? That's a federal agent. They came in there because the lady hit the panic button and she wanted to know why would a black guy come in here. I showed my credentials and she said she had never seen a gold badge that said DEA. <laughs> that was her out. I mean, oh. I was coming from Georgia <laughs> in South Carolina, me and my oh. partner, and we went what is known as so a hoopty, you, you a trap car. I laugh, I laugh at absurdities, not because something is funny. It's just oh, but nasty. I'm, but I'm, but I'm, I have to laugh what I'm saying is, What I'm saying is that even though I've been in law enforcement, I have not been immune from racism. I have not been a room, immune from discrimination. I guess Because my, when you see me, when you see me, you don't know who I am. If I leave for Sife County and let's say I go to Iowa, they don't see a man that— uh, is a graduate of Piedmont, a graduate of High Point, has matriculated through s levels of law enforcement. They see my skin tone. And I say this every chance I get. Before I was a sheriff, before I was a special agent with the federal government, 1811, before I was all those things in my life, I was a black man. And even after all this, I'm still going to be black. And America sees me as a black man. So I... Listen, I've seen that all my life, too. Exactly. And it's anybody who says that's not true is either blind or lying. They lie. Or dumb. Uh, but uh, in reality, that's I have said several times in these conversations, I think we need to zero in on some of that because to me, that seems like the real problem. But I'm hearing key leaders across our country saying that white officers routinely track down and kill black people and uh, unarmed black people. So I went and looked at the Washington Post uh, that tracks all that. Uh, two days ago, they said in 2019, there were nine, there were nine examples and they went to 10. I think yesterday they went to 15. I'm not sure why it's changing because that was 2019. But nonetheless, 9, 10, 15, that's obviously 15 too many. That's of horrible. Course, of course. But it's not thousands that it sounds like when you hear the people screaming that. It just seems to me that the real problem is in the day to day. It's in real estate. It's in business. It's in education. It's not in probably maybe you're in law enforcement. You can tell me if I'm wrong. It doesn't seem to me that it's in fatalities on a regular basis, yeah, but, hunting down but, people but, and killing but, them. No, but guess what? See, that that's where people miss a lot of the the as they say, the devil is in the details. Yeah. Because if you take that and look at it a little from a different perspective, the prison systems, the educational systems, yes. and all of those things stack, 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 stack up. The reason you see it and it's so newsworthy and we get upset about it because a life is taken. But every day in this system, you have interactions with the police because the police has a lot of discretion. An officer could stop you, give you a verbal warning, a written warning, a citation. Now, guess what? If he gives you a written citation, you just went into the system, okay? And if you can't afford the ticket, it keeps compounding, okay? And so there are so many systemic, structured racism within our system that are so subtle that they become obvious over a course of time. It's like stacking bricks on your back. If I undereducate you, then you can't compete. Then I start this happening, then this happening, this happening, this happening, this happening. And for you realize it at the end of the day, guess what? So let's take it from here. We just had a pandemic, right? Give you a simple example. Maybe we still have it. Well, guess Not what? Not that we, it seems like it yeah, anymore. Yeah, okay. Well, we just, we just, we, we're sort of, let's say we're emerging from this pandemic. We're peeking our, our heads up in it. So we had about 
between Guilford and Forsyth, we had over 10,000 kids that never logged on, right? Because they was going to school virtually on the computers, right? 10,000 never didn't have the technology, didn't have the computer? Exactly. Yeah. Well, guess what? I'm not a mathematician, but I'd be willing to bet you, as my dad would say, dollars to donuts, that if you look at the racial makeup of the kids that did not have the ability to log in, they don't look like me. So let me. They don't look like you. I agree. So let me see if I think I. It, let me clarify. So I think what I'm hearing you say is that while we don't have police officers routinely, exactly chasing down and killing black people for the fun of it or whatever, but what the George Floyd killing might do is wake us up to all of the other inequities and all of the other racism exactly. driven things. And so exactly. even though we shouldn't be saying something that's not true, but at the same time we should take this moment. And use it to grab everybody's attention because everybody has their attention. I love, I love my country. I love my country. I've demonstrated that. I went places and been ready to die for my country, mm -hmm. right? But I know that my country has some illnesses. Mm -hmm. I know that. I have seen them. I know that. I have sat in rooms where sometimes they forgot I was black. Mm -hmm. Okay? You're black? Yeah. You wow. know, I, they, they forgot that because they become comfortable with seeing me that they just say, okay, that's Bobby. They forget that. You know, you see people in their true element, how they really, the new, the, the true them emerges. So I'm not sitting here saying that we, we perfect. We got some work to do. We really got some work to do. A lot. A lot. And there's nothing wrong with that. The problem is when we don't acknowledge we got some work to do. So, at the end of every one of these shows, we, we talk a little bit about some steps that maybe people listening could take uh, to begin to move us toward those things you're talking about there. And I'm sitting here thinking about what you just said, the thousands of students right here in our county who never logged on. They all got sent home in a pandemic. Uh, you know, unfortunately, uh, this is a little sidetrack, but sad truth. Unfortunately, a lot of them lost their food because they were getting two free meals a day. So we and, forgot about that piece, too. Exactly. And they feel further behind because when schools opens back up, they're behind. That's right. They were behind on day one. Exactly. Uh, I think it was University of Nebraska that did a study that talked about how many million vocabulary words behind poor kids are when they get to uh, first grade than middle or upper class kids. I mean, millions of words of vocabulary. So they're already like a couple of grades behind on day one. And obviously, they just get further behind because teachers have no choice. They have to teach to the level that they're asked to teach. And so it's 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 like the whole playing field is slanted on day one. And I think what you and there's I want to do is start, start leveling that playing Doc, field. There's a form called a 202, right? A 202 is a personal history form in the federal government system, right? And on that form, you put your name, parents' name, all that. Then you put your level of education, right? I'd be willing to bet you if we went through the Department of Correction across this country, and we looked at race that's incarcerated, we'd be extremely high. If we went and we looked at level of education, you with me? Uh -huh. All these things will correlate to those little things that we're talking about that eventually keep you out, can't compete, and all those things matter. And isn't it true on the other side that in law enforcement, if you have people that are better trained, better educated, they hardly ever create these kinds of problems. You don't exactly. see this thing going on amongst those as often. I mean, it's maybe a, there's an exception, but exactly. pretty much. Yeah. Wow. 
So let's talk about the solutions for just a minute. Sure. Uh, you and I talked the other day about education. Uh, one of the things we did as a university was help a young man start a movement here called Piedmont Renewal Network, Logan Fallon. And it's basically providing Saturday mentoring for kids in Title I school. And so they basically get four hours of mentoring free to them. The organization's paying for the teachers and, and it's, lot, it's very costly to them. And the goal is, is that they're going to do this from sixth grade all the way to 12th grade. So these kids are going to get advanced mentoring all the way through so that when they do get to 12th grade, they're going to have advanced trig and chemistry and science. And we at the university here promised that organization we're going to give 25 full tuition scholarships to any one of those kids in the future that wants to come to Piedmont. Other universities around this town are getting involved. Winston-Salem State's involved. Forsyth Tech's involved. I think they've gotten North Carolina School of the Arts involved. I think Wake Forest University is taking a look at this. So think about that. A Title I kid is going to get a lot of free mentoring and hopefully at the end of the day, we'll get a big scholarship to a, a real full scholarship to a decent university, a good university, get a degree and go forward. This is just one piece of a really big puzzle, but at least it's a little step in the right direction. I got a challenge for you, Doc. And you, you got to do it fast. I'm going to do it fast. I'm going to do it fast. Here's what I'm going to tell you. Education is a true emancipation, okay? We've got to educate the people. So my challenge to you is for you to link up with Dr. Hatch, the president of Wake Forest. Go to L. Robinson, old one same state. Go down to Salem. Go to Forsyth Tech. And here's what a challenge for you. You you spearhead this to where every summer you bring them to your campus, people that are in those Title I schools, these kids in these in these areas, you bring them here for the whole summer, you create a leadership program for them, you feed them, you give them activities the whole summer, you bring them right here, you start the movement. That's the challenge of you. That sounds like a good challenge. All right, this has been Black and White. Can we just talk? Thank you. You've been listening to Black and White, Can We Just Talk from Piedmont International University, located in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Piedmont is a Christ-centered university committed to exceptional teaching, scholarly research, creative innovation, and professional collaboration. You can find out more at piedmontu.edu.